This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. A number of years ago, I got into road biking, and I never thought that I'd be a road biker, but um, my wife got me a bike for Christmas. I was looking for another way to get out and enjoy beautiful Colorado, and indeed, over the last few years, I've really grown to love the sport of road biking. Um, I had a friend that invited me to, to go on a, on a bike ride with him, sort of spontaneously, and he called me, and at the time, my wife was hosting a party, and there were a number of people over at our house. And I said yes to him, and so um, I was looking at the time, buying my time, and hoping that by the time it was time for me to go, that they'd be gone. This house full of women, 15 women in my living room. And so I, I, I went upstairs and I got ready, kept looking at the time, it came time for me to go, and so I had to walk downstairs through my living room to get into my garage. Now the living room is where all these ladies were. And so I had to go downstairs dressed from head to toe in full-on spandex in order to get into my garage. And I'm like, I walk through the room. I'm like, ladies, look at eyes. Get your eyes up here. Right? I mean, I'm just kidding. I always bet it was the guy, though, that looked at people riding their bike in full spandex and thought, I'm never going there. I am never doing that until I went on a bike ride not wearing them. And it was not fun. It was no, I realized the moment I got on the bike, why everybody that rides wears spandex head to toe. And so I joined that club. I joined that club. You see, it turned out the thing that was, looked confining at first actually brought freedom. The thing that looked like it was going to be uncomfortable and it looked like there's no way I'm ever going there actually was the thing that allowed me to ride way better with way more comfort than I ever would have imagined. It's interesting, as I read through the commands of Jesus, as I read through the scriptures, that some of the things he invites us to at the onset, they seem like they're, they're chains rather than freedom. They seem like they're confining rather than releasing. They, they seem like they keep us down rather than lift us up. Things like in the Beatitudes where Jesus will say, the poor in spirit, they shall see the kingdom. The meek, they shall inherit the earth. And none of us are going, listen, count me in on that. I want in on that. That sounds like freedom. It doesn't to us at the onset. The peacemakers, the, the people who seek not to find out what's wrong with everybody else, but to build a bridge, those are the people that really are the sons of God. A lot of it seems really confining until you step into it and start to live it. There's no place, there's no command where this is more evident and more true than in the way that Jesus invites us to find freedom. See, because we typically think of freedom in this way. Drum roll, please, and can you guys advance the slide for me? I don't know. In this way, Right? Freedom, brave heart, that's what I think of. That's what I think of, is this brave heart ask. They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom, right? And he just, he charges onto the battlefield. And here's what you and I think. Here's what we think deep down inside. We think that we get freedom by fighting for our freedom. And the way of Jesus teaching, teaches us something completely other 
completely other. That freedom isn't something you fight for. It's something that you step into, and there's a specific way that he teaches us how to step into it. We go to the next slide. Here's what he says. In John chapter 8, Jesus says this, verse 31. If you have a Bible, you can open there. This is where we're going to camp out for the first half of the message. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, just a quick time out. This would have been a huge deal for any Jewish person to put their faith in this Messiah would have been groundbreaking, would have been completely contrary to the culture that they'd grown up in, to the parents that they had, to the traditions that they embraced. And Jesus says to the Jewish people who had believed in him, if you... Say it with me. Abide in my word. If you abide in my word, if you make your home in my word. Um, The NIV will say it. If you hold to my teachings, the amplified version, if you continually obey my teachings, the message, if you stick with this, the NLT, if you remain faithful to my teachings, then, And only then, you are truly my disciples, people who live in my wake, people who embrace my way, people who take on my character. This word literally would mean a learner, somebody who takes on the way of Jesus. If you obey my word, then you are my disciples. Did you know that for a disciple, obedience is not optional, it's essential? Obedience isn't something that super spiritual disciples do. Obedience isn't sort of varsity and we're sort of JV. No, obedience is the baseline for anybody that would say, I want to be a follower of the Messiah, a follower of Jesus. It's not optional, it's essential. And Jesus goes on, he says, okay, so as you abide in my word, as you obey my teachings, as you take on my character as your own, learning from me how to live this life, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth. That's fascinating, isn't it? We've been looking at the truth of the scriptures over the last few weeks specifically. And Jesus sort of twists this a little bit, doesn't he? Here's what he says. You only really know as much as you're willing to believe. You only really know as much of the scriptures as you're willing to step into. See, you will know the truth after you obey the truth. But only then. You see, there's this aspect of truth that is absolutely objective, true in every instance, true in every case. And in post-enlightenment modernity, Christianity has sunk their anchor into that truth, but only into that truth. We haven't created space for the truth that's what we would call a little bit more subjective, The truth that you know when you get into it and start to live it. And that truth is just as true as the objective truth that we've built much of our faith on. Jesus says it's it's at least as important, if not more so. This word know, there's a number of different words in the Greek, um, in the New Testament, that we would translate to know. 
Three specifically, but, but most of them mean, the other two mean to know something by reading a book. To know something if you sort of perceive it from afar. The word that Jesus chooses in this instance is that we know the truth. It's this firsthand experiential knowledge. We know it as we live it. We know the truth. And the truth sets us free. You know this. You know this if you're a follower of Jesus. You know that at the onset, Jesus is teaching to forgive people as many times as they wrong you. It felt confining until you lived it. Anyone want to say amen? Until you lived it, until you stepped into it and thought, you know what? It really is a lot of work to continue to hate that person. And it's sort of like running on a treadmill. I'm expending a ton of energy and I'm not getting anywhere. The same is true of generosity. At the onset, you want me to, you want me to be generous with my stuff that I've worked so hard to get? You want to be generous with me to be generous with my resources that I've worked really hard for, my time that I have a very limited amount of? You want me to be generous with myself that seems so oh, outside of where I'd actually want to go until you step into it and you would affirm this is the best way to live. But you only know it once you get into it. You see, Christianity is far more than an experience, but it's never less. It's never less. And we often want to take that out of the picture, but Jesus wants it front and center because when he talks about truth, he's talking about reality. The way that he created the world to function, the way he created you and I as human beings to live in his world, he's talking about reality. It's extremely practical. It's extremely practical. And so here's the way that uh, Tim Keller says it. He says, we don't live as we should not because we simply know what to do but fail to do it, but rather because what we think we know is not truly real in our hearts. See, what we know in our head and what we know in our hearts can often be different things, can't it? And you only live as much of the truth as you really know. And that's what Jesus wants to invite you to, to step into his way. Here's the way that we'll say it. The way to freedom. And by freedom, we mean living in the way that we were designed to live. We often will de define freedom simply as being able to do whatever we want. That's not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom has some confinements around it. It's living in the way that God designed us to live and recognizing that in that is ultimate joy. You know if you want to live in freedom, there's some things you can't do. There's some things you can't do. And you also know if you want to live in freedom, there's some things you must do. If any of you want to live in the freedom of being a concert pianist, you must, you must discipline and train yourself. There's got to be some confinement. Jesus' teaching is no different. He says the way to freedom, the way to freedom is through the walk of obedience. And it's the only way to his freedom. The only way to his freedom. So my question as I wrestled with this is, well, does this make 
our obedience self-serving? Should we obey because we get something from God? Well, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't seem to think that's an issue. We think it's an issue because of a perspective we have in our heads of God. And the perspective we often have in our heads from God is that he would much rather take joy from us than lead us to joy. So the commandments, they have to be hard. They have to be burdensome. They have to be really, really difficult. And they have to lead us to a place where we have less joy than if we wouldn't have obeyed. Right? That's why we ask the question. It's why I wrestled with the question. See, in a sense, Jesus is inviting us to this hedonistic, for your joy, endeavor to obey, to walk with him. There is no greater life. There is no greater freedom. And we only find it as we walk in his way. You see, obedience isn't so much about appeasing God. It's not about making God happy. Obedience is about walking with God, being in relationship with God, living by faith. See, John Piper says it like this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He's saying you can't, you can't, you can't sort of dice these two and pit them against each other. As you walk in obedience, you find freedom. And as you walk in freedom, you live in joy. And as you live in joy, who gets the glory? He does. He does. This is the invitation of the Messiah. Obey my words. Find freedom. Live a life of joy. That's his invitation. So the question is, what parts of the Bible should we obey? Here's the deal. We just established that our freedom is on the line here. This is a huge question. There is no bigger question for followers of Jesus in the 21st century. What parts of the Bible should we obey? Our freedom is on the line. Our joy is on the line. Our vitality and life is on the line. So therefore, this is a huge question. Would you not agree? Which parts of the Bible should we obey? Well, there's a number of different perspectives on that. Let me throw some of them out to you. No shame. If, you, if, you're, if you're in one of these camps, that's fine. That's fine. Um, let's just walk together for a few moments today. One perspective. We should obey the whole thing. We should obey the whole thing. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. End of discussion. End of discussion. And there's a lot of people that would say that. I have not met anybody that actually lives that. Okay? So let's just be honest for a second. This perspective, while we would love to believe it on a soul level, none of us actually live. None of us actually live. And it's caused us to lose our voice in any sort of public discourse because everybody else can see you guys say that, but you don't believe it. You don't really do it. Just a few things we don't obey. And I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying these are a few things that we don't, okay? Exodus chapter 21, verse 17. Any child who curses their parents should be put to death. Anybody done that? All right, it was my son's birthday yesterday. He didn't exactly have a stellar day. I don't know if he cursed us, but it was pretty close. 
right? It was pretty close. No, no, okay, no, nobody, just by show of hands, nobody's done that. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. Okay, if there's two men in a fist fight and one of their wives comes while they're fighting and grabs the other man's genitals, she should have her hand cut off. Now, first of all, you have to ask the question, was this an issue? <laughs> Evidently so, okay? Uh, but okay, so, so that, they're going there. I, I don't know if I'm ready to go there. I've never ever been in that situation, but um, you shouldn't wear clothes made of more than one fabric, Leviticus 19, 19. I mean, we could go on and on and on. We could talk about bacon. We could talk about Sabbath. We could talk about you name it. It's too simplistic to say we just obey the whole Bible. We don't. We don't. A.J. Jacobs wrote a book. He was um, an editorial writer for um, Esquire magazine, and he wrote a book recently called The Biblical Year, where in it he tried to follow every single command given in the Old Testament. And this is what he says. He says, it is impossible to do everything written in the law. Now, you'd only know that if you tried to do it. He tried to do it, and he goes, it's impossible. Everyone must pick and choose. The important thing is picking and choosing the right things. The right things. And I think after a full year, I actually, I agree with him. I agree with him. It's impossible. The important thing is picking and choosing the right things. So the question is, what are the right things? And most of you would maybe respond to me and say, well, we obey the New Testament, we obey the New Testament. And to that I say, the only problem with that answer is, we don't. We don't. Case in point. I have been here three and a half years, South Fellowship Church. Three and a half years. The only person that's greeted me with a holy kiss is my wife. <laughs> and I'm not, that's not an invitation for anybody else. But hey, hey, if we were going to take the scriptures literally and if we were going to follow, this is a command. This is an indicative in the scriptures. Paul commands the church at Corinth, greet one another with a holy kiss. In Romans chapter 16, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. It was not unique to one church. It was a command given across the board. And we don't follow it. And we don't follow it. You know what else is difficult as you get into the New Testament? There's some areas where not only does the Bible not answer some questions that we have, anybody want to say amen to that? But the Bible answers some questions with two different answers. I'll give you an example. In Acts chapter 15, the early church is wrestling with how do we create a way for Gentiles to be a part of the community of faith? The big question was, are we going to require the men who have converted to Christianity to be circumcised? And you better believe that there was fasting and prayer on the other side of this conversation by every man going, oh, please don't let it be. Please, please, please don't make us go there. This is what the church decided. After a season of prayer, seeking the Lord, dialoguing with the community of faith, which are all great principles, you might want to write them down, those are great ways to seek the Lord's will and guidance, because scripture isn't always crystal clear. Chapter 15, verse 28 and 29 of Acts says this, 
for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I mean, don't you love how definitive they are? Seemed good, seemed good. After a season of prayer and walking together and speaking into each other's life, it seemed good for us to lay hands on you. Um, no greater, no greater burden than these requirements: that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. And from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some of you, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food, however, will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do eat and no better off if we do. Huh. Well, what do you do with that? Should you or shouldn't you? In one passage, we shouldn't. And in another passage, food sacrificed to idols, fair game. What parts of the Bible should we obey? Should we obey Acts 15, 29? Or should we obey 1 Corinthians 8, 8? All this to say, it's not as simple as the Bible says it, so I believe it, and that settles it. It's not that simple. So here's a third way. How about we read the way that Jesus invited us to look at the whole law? Matthew chapter 22. He's getting pinned in by some Pharisees from teachers of the law that really want to ask him this question. What parts of the Bible should we obey? And so Jesus, give us the best. Give us the, the highest commandment of them all. And he said to them, you shall, say it with me, South, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. It's interesting, this word like it is, and the second is sort of a mirror of it. The second, you can't do the first if you don't do the second. These are intricately intertwined together. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, all right, that's the first and greatest. And in your mind, you're thinking, well, Paulson, fine. Jesus says it's the greatest. Well, but it's not the only it's not the only. And to that I say, verse 40. On these two commands, Jesus says, on these two, depend, depend, or hang, or are suspended by all. How many? All the law and the prophets. Here, here's the picture that Jesus wants to paint for you. That the entire, entire Old Testament, 611 other commands hang in the balance of these two. Are you going to love God and are you going to love the people around you? That's what it all boils down to. That's the intent of the entire thing. The rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the law, any other command we get is simply commentary on these two. Love God and love the people around you. Love God and love the people around you. So which parts of the Bible should we obey? Well, we should obey the law of love. 
And you go, well, Paulson, that's way too easy. That's way too, that's way too simplified. And to you, I say, that's fine, that's fine. How about then, how about we just start here? How about we just start here? We don't need to take it to the nth degree. Let's just start here. And once you nail this one, loving God, loving others, and once you, once you nail it, let's just, you just come back to me and say, Paulson, I have nailed that. I'm so dialed into that. I've checked that off my list. Then, then let's go from there. You want to know I will never have that conversation? <laughs> one of two reasons. A, because you can't perfectly live that out. B, if you could, you would realize there's nothing higher, nothing better, and nothing else really matters. Now, just so you don't think I'm sort of lifting the words of Jesus out of context, the early church wrestled with this question too. Listen to the way that Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says this. He says, oh, no one anything except to what? Love each other. For the one who loves another has what? Fulfilled the law. Well, how much of the law? Well, presumably the whole law. See, everything. It would be akin to seeing a little thread hanging out of a sweater, right? And going and pulling that little thread. If that little thread is love God, love people, you would pull it. And if you pulled it long enough, you would be naked lying on the floor. You've come undone, to quote Weezer. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's all attached to that. It's all attached to these two things. Love God and love the people around you. Does it mean that we fulfill the law in every single little detail of it? No, actually it doesn't. But good thing for you, that's not what it means to fulfill the law, period. That's not how Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus did not fulfill the law by accomplishing every command exactly as it was written. Case in point, Sabbath. He didn't fulfill the Sabbath exactly as it was written. What he did was he accomplished the intent of the Sabbath, which was to find rest in the only one in whom our souls can truly be satisfied. He fulfills the intent behind the law, and in doing so, fulfills it. Here's what he says to you. You want to fulfill the intent behind every single law God has? Love. Love. And you go, well, Paulson, I don't think you'd fulfill every single law God has just by loving. Well, let's just go. Let's just keep reading. Verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. What, what are those from? Ten commandments, right? So he's just going, he's just going ten commandments on us, very basic, very sort of, um, they're just elementary. He goes, let's just start there. He goes, all of these laws and any other commandment. That's a lot of other commandments, right? There's 600 and some in the law, 600 and some other commandments are summed up in this word. You want to summarize them all? You want the Cliff Notes version on the law and the prophets? Spark notes, whatever it is now, spark notes, yeah, something like that. You want the spark notes version? Love, love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Any other commandment, 
which parts of the Bible should we obey? Well, let's start with the law of love. And once we nail that, let's start to ask, what else, God, do you have for us? You see, early disciples, they were convinced that love was the intent of the entire law. Love was the intent of the entire law. And so here's the deal. This is going to be hard, a little bit difficult for us, but they weren't as concerned about their interpretation. Jesus wasn't as concerned with the early church's interpretation of the law as he was with them understanding the intent behind the law. See, the Pharisees, they wanted to sort of split hairs. How much of our spices should we tithe on? Well, let's, let's tithe on them all. So they're bringing in a little bit of salt, a little paprika, a little bit of oregano, and they're putting that in the offering tray. And Jesus goes, I'm not exactly sure that that's what I mean by that. Thank you very much. Did you know that you can actually fulfill the law, fulfill the commands, and miss the heart of the commander? It's possible. Read through Isaiah chapter 58. You do all these fasts, you do all these ceremonies, you do all this religious stuff, and yet you miss the heart of it. You refuse to speak into those whose lives are in captivity. You refuse to help those who are downtrodden. You refuse the greater fast, which is offering your body to the one whom paid it all. There's a way to execute a command without honoring the commander. And what Jesus wants to do, what the New Testament scriptures want to do is point us back to this is what's behind. If you, were to, if you were to just dig down through all 613 different laws, there would be one intent and only one. Love. Love. It's the only intent. Does this minimize the law of God, you might ask? Absolutely not. It clarifies it. It clarifies it. It reveals the heart of what God intended for it. So when we talk about things like food sacrifice to idols, Paul will continue, therefore, if any food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. What's his guiding principle? Love. He goes, it's not really about the issue. The issue is, do I value people or do I value my position more? Do I love people or do I love being right? Romans chapter 14, verse 15. For if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer, what? Walking in love. As if to say, this is, way, this is the bigger issue and it will clarify any other sub-issues that you might have. To quote one of the church fathers, St. Augustine, he said, love God and do whatever you please. <laughs> Some people will go, well, that just leads to licentiousness. But not if you really genuinely love God, it won't. These are the guardrails. Love God and do whatever you please, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is the beloved. Lest you think I'm taking this too far, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, a new command I give you that you should, what? Love one another. And it really wasn't all that new. It was all over the Old Testament. It was the intent of the entire law. But what's new is the extent to which the disciples are called to live this out. Just 
as I have loved you. That's the calling. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know. By this, all people will be able to tell that you're my disciples. It's not by how much you know. And it's not by what you believe. Although those things are important, those things are extremely important, they're just not the most important. People will not know that you are disciples of the Messiah because you have great theology and great doctrine, although I believe that's really important. They will not know that you're disciples of the Messiah because you've memorized X amount of the Bible, although I believe that that's really important. The way that they will know whether or not you are disciples of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is, do you live in a way of love? That's what will define us. See, early disciples were known for how they loved, not for what they believed. Now, if you read through the New Testament, you go, well, what they believed was extremely important. I I would say, yes and amen. I couldn't agree more. It just wasn't what they were known for. They were known for people who were convinced of the resurrection. That's what they were known for as far as what they believed. And the way that shaped their community and their interaction with the world is the reason the church still stands today. They were known for the way that they loved. Listen to the early church father, Tertullian, reporting about what the Romans would say about followers of Jesus. They would say, see how they love one another, exclamation point. An anonymous Christian said to the Romans, we love one another with a mutual love because we know not how to hate. Clement of Rome, one of the early church fathers said, he improvises himself, those who follow the way of Jesus, he improvises himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. I mean, can you you imagine? He likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain, and if he suffers any hardship because of having given up his own property, he does not complain. So early followers of Jesus, they weren't so much asking the question, what does the Bible say? And the reason they weren't asking it is because they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have much of the New Testament that you have. They had Old Testament on scrolls. What does the Bible say? (gasps) Roll out Isaiah. Let's dig in. They were asking, what does love require of us? What does love demand of us? What does it look like to love in this situation? And let's talk for a second. Let's talk for a second. You tell me that wouldn't change. If we started to ask the same question, what does love ask of us? If that wouldn't change our neighborhoods, if that wouldn't change our schools, if that wouldn't change our churches, if that wouldn't eventually, and the ripple effects of it, eventually change our world. What does love ask of us? You see, because we have the tendency to read the Bible through a lens that we create and that tends to benefit us. And we can make the Bible say almost anything we want it to say. And if we had the chance to sit down over a cup of coffee and you disagreed with me, I would have the chance to walk you through some of the most egregious offenses that people have made and they've used the Bible to do it. 
But here's what they've missed, here's what they missed, here's what they could not have done. They could not have said, the way of Jesus is the way of love, and that is our guiding ethic, and that is our guiding principle, and those are the guardrails that he has set for us. They could not have made those mistakes if they would have had that as their guiding ethic. They couldn't. And we use the Bible to justify our politics. We use the Bible to justify some of our nationalistic endeavors. We use the Bible to justify some of our personal soapbox issues. And how about, how about, how about, will you look up at me for just a second? Instead of using the Bible as a mallet to hit people over the head with, what if we started using it as a mirror to discern the condition of our own soul and then to walk forward and live in the way of love that Jesus clearly commands us to. See, the early church is convinced, the early followers of Jesus is convinced this is what Jesus has called us to. So let's go back to where we started. Let's go back to where we started. If you really are my disciples, you will abide in my word. You're, you're gonna obey. You're gonna obey my words, he says. And then you will know the truth. You're going to get in there. You're going to step into it. And you're going to be like, yes, yes and amen. This is truth. This is the reality that you designed the human soul to live in and walk in. And that truth will in turn set you free. So let's look at it again. Let's look at it again. If you abide in my word and obey my words, and that at its very core base level is what? Love, love. So if you love, if you love, but only if you love. If you love, you will know the truth of God. And that truth will free you to walk into his world for his glory and for your joy. See, living the law of love leads to a life of liberty. We do not fight our way to, love, or to freedom, ironically. We love our way to freedom. We love our way to freedom. And can we all agree, it's a lot of work to hate. It's a lot of work to be right all the time, isn't it? I know, I know, I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a lot of work to be right all the time. It's a lot of work to judge. And it's work that only leads to our chains. But if you wanna live in the way of Jesus, Love in the way of Jesus. Love ridiculously. Love lavishly. Love people that you would normally hate and disagree with and want to push down. Love people who don't deserve it. Love people who are unworthy. Love people who don't love you back. Love, period, no strings attached. And you know what will start to happen? you will start to walk in the freedom of knowing this is why I was created. Let's pray. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.